Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. All right, if you have a Bible, we are going to turn to the book of Luke this evening, the book of Luke. Uh, We're going to go to the 14th chapter of Luke, would be absolutely fantastic. Who's been enjoying our new series, Follow, Unfollow? Our two new series, you've been getting touched by those? All right, we're going to go to the, the book of Luke, chapter 14, and we're going to start reading in verse 25. Luke 14 and verse 25. If you're taking notes, you can simply entitle this message, Unfollow, Unfollow. Large crowds were were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Somebody say, ouch. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him and say, this fellow began to build but was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, every one of you who does not does not give up everything he has, cannot be my disciple. Somebody say, ouch. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. Someone say, ouch. In this amazing passage of Scripture, which I don't know about you, is like a punch in the face. Jesus begins, in fact, our passage begins not with Jesus, but with a crowd. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is going from place to place, and that a large crowd is following Jesus. Now, two things to know. Number one, following Jesus is the smartest decision that any person can ever make. If you're out there today and you're yet to discover the wonder of a relationship with Jesus, then hang around for about 26 minutes because I will give you tonight an opportunity to discover a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want you to understand that being a follower of Jesus is the most life-changing experience on earth. And if you believe that tonight, make some noise for about three seconds in this auditorium. It's a good idea to follow Jesus. It's just a bad idea to be one of the crowd. If you want to destroy your life, if you want to mess your life up, then go along in life with what everybody else is doing. 
Have you ever heard somebody justify some stupid decision that they made in their lives with the simple excuse, everybody else was doing it? I'm telling you what, man, just because everybody else jumps off a cliff doesn't mean you should. Just because everybody else is popping it, snorting it, smoking it doesn't mean you should. Just because everybody else is doing it, it doesn't mean for a second that you should let your individuality fall victim to a corporate mindset. Oh, God doesn't want you to be one of a thousand. He wants you to be one. That's why the Bible says He counts you by number, my name, and not by number. You are not a thousand. You are Adam. You are not one of a crowd. You are Sarah. You are known by God and you matter to Him. You are an individual and a follower of Jesus, a child of God. That's amazing. The Bible tells us that this crowd is following Jesus down the road and they're there because of all the things that Jesus did. I mean, Jesus, if you're thinking of people to hang around with, Jesus is a pretty good guy to hang around with because deaf people didn't stay deaf. In fact, dead people didn't stay dead. When Jesus got amongst people, sicknesses were cured. If you're lame, you started walking. By the way, when you ran out of food, He took a boy's lunchbox and fed an entire stadium of people. It's a good thing to hang around Jesus. It's an amazing opportunity to hang around Jesus. And the Bible tells us that a crowd of people are hanging around and they are following Jesus and realizing that amongst this crowd is a myriad of reasons. Knowing that people are there for a mixture of motives. Knowing that a lot of people are thinking that by being around Jesus, their life is going to be made better for it. Jesus opens his mouth, and this is what he said. He said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower of me, you need to hate your father. You need to hate your mother You need to hate your wife, your children, your own life. And if you're not prepared to do that, you can't be my disciple. Yeah, that's what I said. In fact, I got so excited, I didn't just say, well, I said it backwards. Help me. I said, wow. I mean, when you read that, you're like, what you talking about? Jesus literally said, you got to hate. You got to hate. He's talking here not just about any random people, right? He's talking about father. He's talking about mother. He's talking about wife and husband, brother and sister. He's saying, think about those that matter most to you in life. And something's got to change in your relationship to them if you're going to truly become a follower of me. When I hear that, what Jesus puts out there, man, it really can get in your head because hate is a very strong word. I mean, when you think about the word hate, it immediately invokes emotion. We talk about things we hate and it's never a good experience. And Jesus is saying, listen, all the things that matter to you and all the things that you love and the people that are most dearest to you. He went on, he didn't make it any easier, but down the bottom, he said, if you don't give up everything you have, you can't be my disciple. Jesus is, Jesus is putting it right out there. 
When I hear stuff like that, man, I'm like, whoa, Jesus, what are you meaning? And then I decided I was going to do a little study on this word hate because I better figure out some wiggle room around it. Anybody know what I mean? <laughs> so I searched this word hate only to discover that literally every time it is used in the Bible, it only ever is used as one word. And the word is, you ready for it? Hate, yeah. When Jesus uses this word hate, it's a very strong and evocative word. And the problem is that we're trying to get it sometimes from the original manuscript of the Bible through to our modern language. And we don't want to lose the passion. But neither do we want to lose the intention. Because what Jesus is saying here, this word hate can be translated when you bring it from Greek into English. It can mean to love less. He's saying, listen, if you're going to be a follower of mine, then I want you to understand you can't be my follower and have something in your life that you love more than me. If you want to be my follower, you can't have a relationship that matters to you more than me. You can't have a position that you value higher than me. You can't have an applause that you live for more than me. You can't have an accolade that you desire more than me. You can't have a motive in your life that is greater than love for me. Jesus is saying that in our lives, we've got to think about what is most dear, what is most central, what matters most to us, and we have to make it less than Him. Jesus is saying, man, you got to put me first above everything else. Jesus must be more beloved, more adored, and more esteemed than anyone or anything else in our lives if we're going to be His follower. Someone say, wow. Any of the guys out there, single guys out there, you never had one of the boys, you know, and you got a crew of boys. Every guy's got a crew of boys, right? If you're 19, 18, if you're, you're anything over the age of 16, under the age of 25, you've got a posse. You've got a crew of boys. You do life with them. They, they're your boys, right? We've got the boys. Every, every guy has got a crew. Of, where are my boys at? You out there tonight? Yeah, we've all got a crew of boys. And the thing to understand about boys, men, is that we're very simple creatures. So we very quickly establish routines. We have routines Come on, guys, don't look at me like you don't know. We have pool on Tuesday night. We have basketball on Thursday night. We have rugby every Friday night, and it's always at Jack's house. You understand what I'm saying? We're just creatures of habit. That's what we do. Anybody out there? We establish routines, and they're like, yeah, these are my boys. These are my boys. And, you know, we got our little handshakes and our stuff, and there's the guy who's always making you pay for everything else for him. If that guy's near you right now, point at him. Just go, point at him, yeah. Yeah, people are just, oh, look, we've got the obvious suspects already over the auditorium. And you've got the crew of boys. Well, you know, something can happen with the brotherhood. Something can. And I'll tell you what happened. Normally, the sweetest smell. Longer hair. Suddenly, one of the boys has his head turned by a member of the opposite sex. And suddenly he starts getting, you know, into the conversation. We've only been talking about rugby, FIFA. We've been talking about the latest burger at Burger Fuel. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, we're talking about, she's, he's bringing up Daphne. You know, I don't know. Let's pull that name up out of there. I, 
Is there a, I hope there's no Daphne here, but you know. He's talking about Daphne, you know what I mean? He's, he's just Daphne, and suddenly, suddenly da- there's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't talk about girls here. This is, this is the boys, you know? We're, we have pool on Tuesday night. We have two-for-one Nando's on Monday. Oh, no, 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 I don't eat. Anyway, it's like, you know, this is what, we don't talk about Daphne here, but suddenly Daphne starts getting mentioned, and, you know, Things start to happen. Next thing you know, we're all in the pool hall wondering where Bill is, and Bill isn't turning up tonight because Bill's with Daphne. It ain't right. It ain't right. It's not fair. On a Friday night, we're all watching rugby, and he's watching The Notebook with Daphne. How dare he! This is holy. This is rugby. Man, it's a really unsettling thing when suddenly into the middle of the brotherhood comes somebody who loves someone else more than the boys. And whilst it can be, whilst it can be a really upsetting thing, I think the thing that everybody in this auditorium would agree is that if that relationship is going to work, one day that transition is going to have to be made. If any relationship between a man and a woman is going to last, if that relationship is going to endure, then we understand that whilst it may be a difficult transition and whilst it may be awkward for the boys, and one day that guy is going to have to decide between his boys and his girl. But at the end of the day, what we recognize is that marriage ain't going to last if the boys matter more than the wife. This relationship is not going to endure if we allow other things to compete with it, love's got to be love. Come on, you understand what I'm talking about? If love is going to be love, then it has to be higher. And I want you to understand tonight that when we're talking about this context, we're not just talking about any relationship. We're not just talking about any love. We're talking about a Savior, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We're talking about the God who is not just offering to us anything. He's offering us relationship with Himself. I want you to understand that the goal of Christianity is not to make you nice. A lot of people are like, yeah, I got religion. I'm nice. It's like, no. (laughs) Jesus did not die on a cross so that you could become just kinder. Like hopefully you can overcome the challenges in your life, but Jesus didn't just die to make you nice and kind. Jesus died on a cross so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you could wake up every day with a life that is full of radical purpose, so that you could understand the fullness of God's plan, so that you could have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so that you could worship before the one true God, so that your life could truly rise above the power and the mediocrity and the addiction and failure and that you can do something great with the life God's given to you. Oh, come on, if you believe you can live a great life through Jesus, why don't you praise Him for a minute out there? And I guess the problem with what Jesus is trying to offer to us and the, and the emotional language that He presents is that at the end of the day, if we are mistaken about the difference that Jesus brings, if we diminish the impact that Jesus can make in our lives, then the challenges that He brings seem way too extreme. 
But when we start to realize the wonder of who He is, guys, when we start to realize that the Lordship of Jesus can change our lives forever, and that Jesus is saying, listen, this relationship, it's not gonna work if I become one of a competing myriad of things. If you're not gonna get access to true relationship with me if I become one of 14 priorities in your life. You're not gonna have your life impacted by the radical and life-giving change that I am able to bring. Anybody here knows what it's like to find Jesus and the day that you find Jesus, suddenly a life that had been only oriented towards today became full of hope and possibility for tomorrow. If that's you, can you clap your hands for just a second out there? How, how about all the people out there that felt that their life was somehow sick in class and the moment you encountered Jesus, you realized that you weren't a reject, but that you were accepted by God and that your life had a unique reason for being here. You're not a leftover or a mistake, but you're a product of divine design. If that's you, clap your hands, right? I think you already are, but go ahead. How many people out there just felt the burden of your sin just re removed when you found Jesus? How about people like me? And when I discovered Jesus, I was immediately filled with a sense of contentment. Like I didn't need your approval anymore. I was happy being John. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We should never think for a moment that the power of what Jesus can bring is, acceptable, is accessible if a heart doesn't fully surrender to Him. We should never think for a moment that we can find the wonder of what He wants to bring to our lives if we aren't willing to say, listen, to be a true follower of Jesus, I've got to unfollow everything else. If I'm going to open up my life to the wonder of what He wants to bring, then I have to take the many other things in my life that would compete with Him and I have to make them completely secondary to Him. I've got to love everything else less than Him. I've got to place Him higher. I've got to put Him above. Because the truth is, team, that we can have many concerns in our lives, but concern for others can never come before our concern for what God wants for us. We may have all kinds of loves, all kinds of voices, and all kinds of concerns, but to be a true follower of Jesus means that we put Him first above all else. We have to love Him more than others. And we have to love everything else less. The challenge of our generation is perhaps the notion that you could sample Jesus. Because we live in an age where self becomes very, very powerful. And when we wanna have um, a religious rhetoric or a, a, a sociological soundbite that sounds something like, I can just take what I want from whatever I want and somehow design myself a life. Like now you can go on to a, the Nike website here in New Zealand and you can say, well listen, I'm gonna start with a blank pair of shoes but I'd like them to be blue leather or I'd like them to be blue suede. And then I'd like to have it a red swoosh on the side and I'd like it to have a, 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 an orange trim around the bottom and you can do that. But the truth is my friends that when you come to Jesus, it doesn't work like that. And whilst you can do that on a Nike website for a $170 pair of shoes, there's not too many $2,000 pair of shoes that are allowing you to design them with the colorway you want. 
And you've got to realize that while a Nike pair of shoes might, might, might be pleasant on your feet for six months, if you're anything like me, once they get old and once they get blemished, I don't want to know about them anymore. But the higher the price, the greater the impact. And you've got to understand that what Jesus is saying, He's saying, listen, you don't get to take a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of love for this and a little bit of concern for the crowd and a little bit of your love for, the, for what people think of you and put it all together and make yourself a consumer spirituality. He's saying it doesn't work like that. And the problem that we have for this generation is simply this, and I want to be so candid with you tonight, and here it is. We have too many people that have got enough of Christianity to make them a little bit nicer, but not enough of Christianity for it to truly change the person that they are. Come on, it's real talk tonight, but you need to hear it. Just whack the person next to you and say, I'm good, but this is really for you tonight. Just tell them, I'm good, this is really for you. It's really for you. John's not speaking to me, but I know you're getting convicted, right? See, the problem is that we can't build a version of Christianity that allows us to be inoculated like Jesus is the flu. When I want to get rid of the possibility of me getting the flu, they give me a jab in my arm. We call it a flu shot. Do you know what they're actually giving you? The flu. But not enough of the flu that you can become infected with it, just enough that you build antibodies to it. And I meet people and they're like, well, John, I tried church and I tried it and I tried it and I, I just checked it out and it was like, had a great aura, you know? It had a great aura. But you know, it just wasn't for me. And the thing about that is, my friends, is that you can't come to Jesus and sample Him. You can't come to Him and expect Him to impact your life if all He's gonna get is half a hand and an eye wide open, but I'm really reserving my own life for me. Come on, are you real with me tonight? If Jesus is going to change your life, then we've gotta be willing to get on bended knee, open our heart, our hands, our all, and say, Jesus, you matter more to me than everything else in my life. And anybody who's willing to open up their heart to God, anybody who's willing to surrender all to Jesus is going to discover that He has the power to illuminate your life, to fill you with purpose every day, to give you a calm in the face of every storm and to radically transform every day that you remain on this planet. Anybody believe that? But He has to be the one that we adore. He won't share first place. He won't hang with a lot of other offers. He's saying, I have to be number one. Jesus is saying, do you want to be my disciple? And let's be clear. Let's be clear. That's the most radical offer ever presented to any person. I mean, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is literally saying, do you want to hang with me? Do you want to have your life shaped by me? Do you want to have your life defined not by the impact of the world, but by the Lordship of Jesus? Do you want to have the presence of God in your life, no matter what the storms of life that may break upon you? Do you want to have His purpose central to your daily lives? Do you, do you want to have an intimate relationship with the Creator of the world? And Jesus is saying, I want to make this available to you, but if it's going to be made available, you have to follow me. 
And you have to deliberately unfollow everything else. You have to follow and unfollow. You have to couple and you have to uncouple. Jesus goes on and, and the reason why I wanted to preach from this passage is because when I read it in my devotions, it became apparent to me that whilst that one verse gets a lot of reference, this is actually one big speech. And Jesus goes on, he talks about two other things. He talks about a guy who's trying to build a tower and he talks about a king that is about to go to war. And in his first illustration, to amplify what he's saying, he's saying, listen, if any of you wants to build a tower, now notice what he chose. He didn't say a barn, he didn't say a shed, he didn't say a house. He said, if you wanna build a tower. Now remember that in this day and age, towers trumped all, why? Because there were elevated positions, because from the tower you could use your arrows in warfare. Remember the Tower of Babel? Come on, everybody knows that after the movie now, and we understand that this tower was to give prominence and fame to people. Your tower is what identifies you as you. And the Bible is saying, if you wanna build a life, if you wanna build an identity, if you want, if you want a relationship with God to mean more to you than just an accessory, if you wanted to transform you and to identify you, and I want you to know tonight as a one talent guy who's lived a life of awe and wonder at what God can do when you surrender your life to Him, I want you to know that having your life shaped by a relationship with Jesus is amazing. And he said, listen, if you wanna build that tower, you've gotta sit down first and you've gotta work out whether you have what it takes to build it. Because if you aren't willing to pay the price and you start building that tower and you get halfway through the construction process and you run out of resources, if you run out of will, if you run out of desire, if something else pulls you away, then everybody is gonna do this. Listen, they will ridicule you, Jesus said. Here is that guy that started building, started following, but was unable to finish. He said, I don't want you for that. I don't want that for you. So I wanna make it clear. If you want this relationship to change your life, you have to, Hate your father, hate your mother. You have to love everything else less than me. The second thing Jesus talked about was he talked about a king that was going out to war. And when he talked about the king that was going out to war, he's talking about a battle. And I just wanna be so clear with you tonight. We're in a battle. I want you to understand that there is a real battle that is being fought and it's a battle that is being fought for a generation. And there is a real God a real God who is full of love and full of compassion, who sent his own son to die on a cross so that we could have victory over every onslaught of the devil. But there is a real battle. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And there is a real God that is trying, encouraging, longing for every person to spend eternity with him in heaven. And there is a real hell that far too many of our generation are heading towards. And every time, every time, every time a young person becomes overwhelmed with anxiety, hell has a party. Every time somebody makes a foolish decision that hurts the lives of others, hell has a party. 
Every time someone ends ends up addicted to drugs or messed up or broken because of a bad relationship, hell is celebrating. You've got to understand, the devil is not a little cherub sitting on your shoulder going, have more fun, have more fun. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the promise of fun might be the sentence of death. But on the other hand, we have a God who is saying, listen, I've got a purpose for you. I love you. I laid down my life for you. I want you to have an amazing and abundant life. And if you believe that about Jesus, just praise Him for a second. Oh, it's a real battle. It's a real battle, right? And this is what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying before you go out to that battle, you need to first sit down and you need to ask yourself whether the, with the soldiers you have, you can win the battle that you're about to fight. Has anybody ever read the story in the book of Acts? You can grab a seat. Anybody ever read the story in the book of Acts of the seven sons of Sceva? This is a great story. In the book of Acts, you've got a priest and his name is Sceva and he has seven sons. The seven sons of Sceva. I can't even make that up. That's just awesome. The seven sons of Sceva have got a little business going on. Their business is exorcism. They were the original Ghostbusters. If there's something weird in your neighborhood, who are you gonna call? The seven sons of Sceva. It doesn't quite rhyme, but that's who you'd call. And the seven sons of Sceva would go to the demon-possessed person and they would drive out the demon. And they, they observed, they observed that the early apostles like Peter and John, they would just say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And demons would lead people. And they're like, this is awesome. We can charge the same fee, but in a moment we can get what took us a day to accomplish. And they're like, we gotta get in on the racket. So they have this demon possessed man and they got him in front of him and they wanna drive out the demon. This is so good, I can't even make it up, it's amazing. The Bible tells us that they just look at the demon-possessed man and they said, in the name of Jesus and Peter, come out of him. And the Bible says that the demon-possessed man, I can't even make this up, he sits up and he says, Jesus I know and Peter I know, but who the heck are you? And he jumps up, beats them up, And the seven sons of Sceva, this is a true story, it's in the Bible, go running down the street naked. I mean, it's just amazing. And when I read that story, I'm like, what the heck? Here's the thing about the seven sons of Sceva. They had the name of Jesus on their lips. They didn't have a love for Jesus in their heart. And friend, I want you to know that if you want, Jesus has got all the victory you need over every onslaught of the enemy, over every attack that comes your way. Our God is greater. Our God is able to save, to give you victory. He's enabling us to win a generation to Jesus, to change the world. Come on, if you believe that, shout amen. The Bible is saying it's not good enough to just have the name of Jesus on your lips. You need the love of Jesus in your heart because when you know Him, then you can be used by Him. And friends, I believe with all my heart that God wants you and I to win this battle. Do you believe that tonight? Come on, you can stand to your feet with me this evening. I don't believe for a second that God is wanting you and I to live a life that is overcome by the onslaught of the enemy. I believe with all my heart that God wants you to live a life where you become a tower of purpose to testify to the greatness of His name. 
where you've got all the power of heaven at your disposal to overcome every attack of the evil one. I want you to understand, my friends, that in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is giving us a massive invitation. He's saying, you can be my follower. You can have your life shaped and molded by Jesus, not molded by a materialistic culture, by an exploitative age, by our individualistic self-centered generation, or by our sexualized and sensualized time. Jesus is saying, we get to have our lives shaped and molded by the only one who doesn't take our life but gave it for us, who doesn't want to exploit us, but wants to give to us. He's saying, I can change your life if you would open it to me. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.